Well, good morning. Uh, I'm Scott Spencer. I'm the assistant pastor here. So Pastor Mike should be back next week. Um, so if you came to see him, I'm sorry you're, you got me. Uh, thanks. I appreciate that. I heard that. So uh, we've been going through 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is kind of a meat and potatoes kind of a book. Um, it is not necessarily one of those uh, feel-good chapters. When you're done, you probably should feel a little bit convicted and reprimanded. So if that's where you're at and you're like, wow, another another message in 1 Corinthians, um, it's okay. We should feel that way. Uh, a lot of times we read, a lot of times we listen to messages, and we just end up feeling good at the end, and that's, that's great, that's awesome, but sometimes, uh, sometimes we need to take a look at ourselves, and sometimes we need to feel a little bit convicted by what we've just heard, and so um, actually I hope that's the case, I hope that's the case for you. So Paul is talking in the previous chapter, chapter 12, about gifts, spiritual gifts, and he lists a number of those gifts, uh, and then in chapter 13, he moves on to talking about love, and he doesn't necessarily call love a gift, but I believe he alludes to that fact, that it's a gift. He says that love is superior to all of the gifts. So the context is that the first Corinthians have been abusing the gifts that they have, They've been using gifts to elevate themselves and to put other people down. And they're, 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 there's pride involved. They're saying, I have this gift and you don't. And so that makes me a superior Christian to you. And, uh, and Paul's saying, no, that's not how those gifts should be used. And, and he moves on and he says, he says, you know, all of these gifts are good. All of these gifts are to be used for the edification of the church. And they're, they're to be used for, for the spiritual health of the church. It says they, these gifts should bring people together. They shouldn't be divisive. And he starts talking about love. And he says everybody should have love. Not everybody has all of those other gifts. Those other gifts are given specifically to some people. And, and other people have other things that they're gifted with, and the Holy Spirit, the Lord uses all of those gifts to bring people together. But he says everybody should have love, should have love one for another. So he doesn't really call love a gift, but it is a gift. It's something that's given to us when we become a Christian, and, uh, and, and it's, it's through the Holy Spirit that we have that gift. Um, we know that uh, the Bible says that natural love sometimes grows cold. Sometimes that happens. But spiritual love, spiritual love is a supernatural thing. Spiritual love, love from God, a gift from God, doesn't grow cold. People can be abusive to you and you still love them. That's, that's a supernatural love. That is not a natural love. If somebody's abusive to you and you, there's no presence of the Holy Spirit there, um, you're going to be like, not going back for more, you know. Uh, you're going to walk away. You're going to say, done with that. But if you, have, if you have a love from the Lord, love from God for people, it just doesn't go away. You, you still love those people. And sometimes you look at those people, they're, not, they're no relation to you. They're not family. Um, it's not a, uh, it's not a, um, how do I say this? It's not a attraction, you know, uh, uh, male, female thing. It's not that kind of love. Um, it's, it's love that's transcending that. Sometimes it's a love that you have for a person who is an older person, but it's, it's that, it's that agape love. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. It's love that transcends all of those things. And that's, that is a supernatural love. That's a gift. You know, this was such a radical idea for the people at that time that they looked at Jesus and they said, can he really be, can he really be the son of God? Because, because he, he is eating with sinners. He's sitting down with people that everybody knows is a sinner, but he's sitting down and he's eating with them. He is, uh, 
he's fellowshipping with these people. And do they, does, doesn't he know that these people are like the scum of the earth? But he's still, he's interacting with them. And they looked at that and they're like, he cannot know. He can't know that these people are what they are. If he did, he wouldn't have anything to do with them. But that's that supernatural love. That's that supernatural love that transcends those things. You see beyond that. You see beyond what people are. And, and you're, able to, you're able to love them. You're able to, to ha- take some care of them, even though they're not necessarily the greatest person. So those things, and that's from Luke. Uh, they said those things, they were trying to discredit the Lord. Uh, if you think back to the parable of the lost sheep in Luke and the lost coin in Luke and the, the story of the prodigal son, all of those things are stories about, about supernatural love from the Lord that transcends the, uh, the problems that are involved with it. Um, you, you think about the, the parable of the lost son or the, uh, the uh, prodigal son. And he, he, he not only leaves, he leaves his family, but he takes some of their wealth with him. And the father gives it to him. The father knows he's going to leave. But he gives it to him, he, he leaves, and he just blows it. He just has a good old party time with his friends. And then finally, when he runs out, finally he's homeless, doesn't even have food to eat. And then he says, you know what, if I went home, maybe I'd be welcome back. Maybe they'd take me back as a servant. Maybe I could just, you know, they'd hire me. My family would hire me to work for them. At least I'd know I'd eat. At least I'd know I'd have a place to sleep. But when he comes back, the father welcomes him. He welcomes him not as a servant, not as a slave, but as his son. So the, those people that were so critical of, uh, of Jesus, they didn't, they didn't get that aspect of God. They didn't get that aspect of God about love, that love is not earned. Sometimes it's not deserved. But love keeps reaching. Love keeps reaching even when things are difficult. So it was difficult for the people in that time to think about God as being a loving and a forgiving God. And uh, it's difficult to think about love being of such paramount importance in our relationship with God and in our church. You can tell, you can walk into a church and it's not very long until you can tell how they love one another. How they love you as a stranger. Because when you walk in, they don't know anything about you. They have no idea what, what your background is. They don't know if you're a Christian or not. How do, you feel, how do you feel welcomed? I hope, I hope when people walk into this church that they feel loved. That they feel welcomed. That they feel like they can be a, a part of, of what we have here. And, and I, really, I really truly hope that. Um, this thing about love... It's not just some sort of an abstract concept. Um, you know, there are, there are different uh, ways of, uh, of, of thinking that are not necessarily uh, in a part of Christianity in the world that we live in today. Um, there are ways of looking at the world that are, you know, these people are not even, they have no concept of God. They don't, they don't honor God. They don't respect God. They probably don't even believe that God exists, but they will talk about love. They will talk about, you know, loving and taking care of, of, of the homeless, um, all of these social things. They'll talk about taking care of the earth and about how, how that's love. They have no concept. They have no idea what spiritual love is. They, they don't know what love is from God. And you can tell that by the way they treat people who don't agree with their way of thinking. They attack people who don't agree with their way of thinking. And you look at that and you say, gee, I'm not feeling a whole lot of love right now. Well, the reason is because it's not love. They talk about love, but they don't know love. They have no concept of love. You can't. You cannot have a concept of what true love is unless you've received that from the Lord, unless you have a measure of that supernatural love. And, and I believe that when we become a Christian, we receive that. 
Now, how that works after that, I don't really know. I know that that in some respects there's this this process of uh, sanctification that we go through. We call it sanctification, and that is a a big word. If you don't have an idea about what that means, it basically means spiritual growth that we go through. So why do we use a word like that? I don't know. But it's spiritual growth. We grow up in the Lord. We become a, a baby Christian, and we start with a little bit of understanding. So I don't know where love falls in there. I, I've met some people who, they're, uh, they're a baby Christian, but man, they got love. They got the love part. They got that down. They just love everybody. And they overlook everything. People can be rude. People can, uh, you know, drop their uh, coffee on their shoes. They still love them. That's not an issue for them. They got that part down. So I don't know, but it's, it's a gift. It is a gift that comes from the Lord. Um, Paul says there in uh, chapter 1, or chapter 13, verse 1, Though I speak with tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I have become sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and although I have faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods and feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but that which is perfect, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And now abide faith, hope, love. But the greatest of these is love. Lord God Almighty, we thank you, Lord, for your word which endures forever. We thank you, Lord, for your word that gives us life, gives us hope and Father, we just pray that you would touch our heart in a personal way. Meet the needs of anybody who hears this message in a very special and personal way. We ask your blessing upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So 1 Corinthians was was a song. Um, Interestingly enough is what I've read. This, uh, This part of Paul's letter is some of the highest level of writing in the Bible. Paul, Paul, was, um, Paul was a gifted man. Paul does a very interesting thing um, in his use of the word gift in this chapter. In the previous chapter, he treated all these gifts as, as, a, um, as a reprimand for the Corinthian church. And he told people to not covet one another's gift. Some had one gift, gift of teaching. Some had gift of healing. Some had the gift of, of uh, prophecy and, and so on. And he said, whatever your gift is, be happy with your gift. That's the thing about a gift, isn't it? When somebody gives you a gift, do, do you have anything to say about what's in the box or what's in the bag? Nothing. You had, you had nothing to do with choosing that gift unless you dropped a really big hint to your husband. That might be, that, that could be it. But um, the gift, you don't choose it. You accept it, don't you? And sometimes, you know, sometimes I feel like I need to teach people how to accept a gift. You know, you hand them a gift and they say, oh, no, no, you didn't have to do that. No, don't, don't, don't go buy anything. Don't get me anything. And say, look, it's a gift. Say, thank you. Say, thank you. And accept the gift. Same when you get a gift from God. You don't choose what's in the gift. You say thank you. 
thank you and accept the gift. And then utilize that gift however however it's intended because, you know, God does not give us those gifts just for ourselves. Sometimes, sometimes someone gives you a gift and it's something like, you know, chocolate. You can eat the whole thing yourself, right? I could. I could eat the whole thing myself. Or you could share it. You know, break some pieces off and share. That's how a spiritual gift is to be used. Sure, you get the benefit out of it. Absolutely benefit it myself. I, 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 I am blessed by my gift. But others are also blessed by my gift. God doesn't give us that just to keep for ourselves. He gives it to us to share. To share with one another. So Paul's saying, don't covet the other person's gift. But when it comes to love, when it comes to love, uh, that's something that God wants for everybody. That's not just something He gives to this one and that one. And so, you know, you have, a, you have this person over here, part of the church, and man, they love everybody. And you have this person over here, and they're just a grouch because they don't have love. That's, that's not God's intention. God's intention is that we all have love. Love brings people together. Love strengthens us. Love binds us to each other. Love helps us through difficult times. Love enables us to, to minister to each other. When Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, he called love the first fruit of the Spirit. And that's evident, isn't it? It's like when I was talking about people who become a Christian and they're just a baby Christian. There's so much they don't get. There's so much they don't understand. They're, they're just, they're new. They're new at all of it, but they got love. It's the first fruit. It's the first thing. It's the first sign. You know, we're, we're to judge each other by our fruit. We're not supposed to judge each other, but, but we're, we're fruit inspectors, aren't we? And when you look at somebody, you can tell pretty quickly whether or not they're a Christian. You know what? You can primarily tell by how they love other people. You can primarily tell how do they care for other people. And you know, some people are just, they're tough to love. Some people are tough to love. And without that supernatural gift of love, it'd be pretty tough. Because they're just difficult people to be with. But if you have that supernatural gift of love it comes through. And you can tell that. You just watch people. It doesn't take very long. You can tell where that love is. Um, John, John said that um, in First John, the one way of knowing whether someone is a, is a Christian says, uh, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love. You'll know them by the love they have one for another. The other gifts were divisive. Love brings people together. You know, in the Greek, there's different words for love. In English, we have one word. We have love. Love includes everything. Love includes all different kinds of love. We understand there's different types of love in this world that we live in, but we only have one word. Eros was the word that the Greeks used for love when it's talking about physical love, love between a husband and a wife. And uh, if you were to uh, think about that word used in that context, love, most love songs on the radio are that kind of love. It's talking about, it's talking about love, uh, you know, love, a man for a woman, a woman for a man, that kind of love. If you watch TV very long, that's the kind of love that's portrayed. Um, typically, that's what they're talking about. Um, but it's interesting that uh, that um, there is not a... I don't know why I'm saying this. There's not a verb or a noun form of eros found in the New Testament. So it's not a thing. It's not an action. It's, it's, it's different. Uh, a, a Greek word that is more of a reciprocal kind of love that's in the Bible is um, phylos. Phylos describes a brotherly love. Phileo, a brotherly love. Love one person for another. Neither one of those words are used very often in the Bible. 
occasionally, not very often. The word that Paul typically used, and he used it a lot, was agape love. Agape love was rarely used in Greek. It was the other kinds of love that is in secular Greek. So if you were reading, you know, secular Greek writings, the other kind of love would be used, but not necessarily agape love. Agape love is kind of a biblical term. It's used a lot in the Bible and not much anywhere else. And so as Christians, we've kind of adopted that. You know, if you hear someone talking about agape love or uh, agape this or the, the other thing, we refer to our agape meal, um, you can pretty well guess that it's Christians talking about that because we've kind of hijacked that term. And um, so it, it kind of has a, an immediate Christian con- uh, connotation. So Christians were experiencing this supernatural love because of their relationship with God. And they had a new understanding of this agape love. Agape love transcends everything else. That's the kind of love that you see when God sent Jesus to the world to cover the sins of the world was agape love. Um, God is love. We know that. And and that, that love caused him to reach out caused him to uh, send Jesus to, um, to transcend time and to put right the sin problem. The sin problem was there from the beginning. God never intended the sin problem to be there. I don't believe he did, but it's there. And so God, because of his love for mankind, sent Jesus to take care of that sin problem. And Jesus was able to take care of that sin problem going back in time and going forward in time. And he covers the sin for all of mankind. All of mankind, he transcends time. So, so you say, well, how do I tap into that? How do I, how do I be sure that, that, that I'm a part of that? Because, because we also know that God is just. God is love and God is just. And people, people want to forget that. You know, people in the world, they'll say, well, how can, how can a loving God let half of mankind go to hell? Well, it's because God is just. God is love, but God is also just. They forget about the just part of it. They want to forget about that. You know, just want to focus on God is a loving God. And, and I, I, I just believe that, that everybody ends up in heaven. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that everyone ends up in heaven. The Bible teaches that some people don't end up in heaven. And it's by their own choice. It's by their own choice what place they go. When we die, there's going to be two different, two different thrones that we stand in front of. One of those thrones is, uh, is the throne of Jesus. Jesus is there. Christians are going to end up there. We'll all end up in front of a throne. There's one throne where, where judgment, God's judgment comes down. And in one place, Jesus is our mediator. Jesus is going to be there with us, kind of like an attorney. You know, uh, I heard a joke one time. I got to share it. You know, what, what are 10,000 attorneys chained to the bottom of the ocean? a good start. <laughs> but Jesus is not one of those kind of attorneys, okay? He's not that kind. Jesus is going to stand there with us before God, and he's going to say, I know this one. This one's mine. I died for this one. But we have a choice. We have a choice. You're going to make Jesus your Lord? Because you need to do that now. You never know. You never know when you're, going to, when you're going to meet that time, you know? I know a lot of young people who have met the Lord prematurely. I'm going to say prematurely. I don't believe anyone leaves this world until God's ready for them to. But... They didn't think that they were going to meet the Lord. 
just on the way home, something happens. So what I'm saying is you need to make that decision now while you can. Make Jesus your Lord. Because God is just. And you know what? There's none of us that are good enough. There's none of us that can do enough work to earn our way to heaven. Can't be done. It's only through the blood of Jesus that you can make that way. And if you have the blood of Jesus covering you, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life and your Savior, I'm not saying you can just go out and, and live any old kind. I'm not saying that. But when you do have those days, and we all have them, you know, you get to the end of the day and you're like, wow, that was a day. Really, really showed the love of the Lord today, didn't I? When you have a day like that, Jesus covers you. Or when you, uh, you know, when you really, when you really, we're going to sin. We're going to sin. Let's just face it. We're just people. We're just people. We're all going to sin. But Jesus covers those things. That's the thing. We all try to live a life that honors and glorifies God. That's what we want to do. We want to serve the Lord. We want to, we want our life to be the kind of a life that when people who are not Christians look at us and they say, that guy must be a Christian because there's no other way. There's no way anybody could live like that, could maintain that kind of composure under that kind of difficulty without being a Christian. That's how we want to live. You know, you don't want to... If, if you're in the workplace, if you work somewhere all the time, and you've been there for 10 years, and nobody has any idea that you're a Christian, there's something wrong with that. Because people should be able to tell. thing is that God is not going to force obedience on us. He wants us to make a willful choice to be a follower of Him. He wants us to make a willful choice to be a servant of the Lord. We, we have a choice there. We have a decision to make. God is not going to force an unwilling person to be his servant. That would make us, that, that would not make us, because we're family. Understand that. We're God's family. How do, you, how do you force somebody, how do you enslave somebody, and, and then call them family? That's not family, is it? Bible calls us sons and daughters of the Most High God. When we become a Christian, we're sons and daughters. And, and a person cannot be enslaved and become a son or daughter. It's by a choice. It's by like, I want to be a part of that family. And we make that decision. We make that choice. We're more than just servants. So it requires us to accept Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. You know, that, that choice, that's a gift. There's a gift. That's a gift from the Lord. He gives that to us. When we say, God, I'm willing to give up my own self-will. I want you to lead my life. I want you to direct my steps. I want to be a part of this family of God. Then we get a gift. That gift is the blood of Jesus covers our sins. It, it, it cleanses us. Sin cannot enter the presence of God. And unless you have a way of cleansing yourself, when you leave this world, you're going to stand before God in one way or the other. You're either going to be covered by the blood of Jesus, and you're going to stand there white. Bible says white as snow. Or you're going to stand there and you are going to be covered with mud. And you'll be like, I got nothing. You don't want to be in that position. You don't want to be in that position because it's a gift. It's a gift that is offered to you freely. You can't buy it. You cannot buy that. So all it takes is to accept the Lord, accept his leadership. And then the Lord sees us as his sons and daughters. I like to say, you know, that saying, 
that uh, there's people who look at life through rose-colored glasses. Is that still a saying? Maybe I'm old and that was a saying when I was young. I don't really know. But I like to say that God looks at us through blood-colored glasses because when you look at glasses in, in a color, that color kind of disappears. And when, you, when the Lord looks at us through the blood of Jesus, He doesn't see us like we really are. He sees us how we will be on that last day when we are sin-free, standing before Him. And that's how He sees us. We have forgiveness for all of that stuff. So it's really, it's really that simple. It is that simple. You just make a choice. It's a simple choice. Where do you want to spend eternity? Where do you want to stand on the last day? Supernatural love is a love that reached out to people who don't deserve it. God reached out to a messed up world. You know, we think our world today is like like super messed up, like it's never been this bad. But really, when you look back, when you look back through the Bible, you know, look at Corinth. Could there have been any more of a messed up people than what was in Corinth? They pretty much had it all covered. They really did. And there's plenty of other cities who did too. Plenty of other times in the Bible that did too. It's bad these days, I admit. When I look around the world, this is a messed up world. But God's got it covered. That's my point. It's not too much for God. God has made, He made a way, God made a plan for people. Made a plan for people to have forgiveness. So that love, it's caring and forgiving and it enables us as Christians to accept people who are messed up people. I, I kind of say this a lot, and maybe I shouldn't because it's kind of insulting to our church, you know. I, I hope it's okay, you know. But I say, you know, our church has some of the most messed up people that I've ever seen. And I'm one of them. But, you know, when you walk through the doors, we welcome you. Because we have that supernatural love. It enables us to overlook what people are. In verses 1, 1, 1 and 3, Paul argues there the necessity of love. Uh, he says the gift of tongues, <clears throat> excuse me, the gift of tongues is nothing without love. It's just an empty pagan rite. He says that was a real slam. You know, those people in Corinth, the people who spoke in tongues, they thought they were the best. They thought they were better than everybody else. They elevated themselves above everybody else. And yet Paul says, what you're doing is nothing more than an empty pagan right if you don't have love. That was, a, that, was, that was a real slam for those people. You know, back in those days when, when the pagans would walk into uh, some of the temples, there would be like this big gong there and they would, they would hit this big thing. And um, they would make a lot of noise make a huge noise. Everybody would hear it. Probably people would turn and look. Oh, who's going into the temple? And Paul's saying, saying, you're not, you're not any better than those people walking into a pagan temple without love. Without love, the most eloquent oratory is nothing more than a pointless pagan rite. So you can be the most eloquent speaker. You can, people can be hanging on every word but if you don't have love, it's nothing. And then he moves on to the gift of prophecy. Prophecy um, was given by the Lord to build up the church, to declare the word of God. But the point Paul makes there is that he says, to have knowledge of mysteries and gifts and power for miracles, and, but you have love, it's nothing. He said, giving one's body to be burned, if you have love, is nothing. Now, there's two possibilities here. I read a little bit about this. There's two possibilities. One possibility is that you literally give your body to be burned. You, you uh, martyr, you get martyred. The other possibility is that someone made themselves a willing slave and they were branded. That's a possibility. But either way, either way, Paul's point is 
you can give up yourself. You can give up your freedom. You can give up who you are, what you are, your, your physical body. But if you don't have love, you got nothing. You've got nothing. There's nothing there. Having love enhances all of those other gifts that Paul talked about. When Paul talked about that list of gifts, love enhances every single one of them. Paul said, I might, I might not be eloquent or be able to work miracles or do spectacular things, but because I love people, I'm able to do wonderful and significant things. God used him in, a, in, in an amazing way. I, I look at Paul and I'm like, you know, he's like a spiritual giant. He would be like the one everybody would aspire to, to be like Paul. But do we read of him using all of those other gifts that we talk about? Not really. Not really. We really don't. In 15 little phrases there, Paul defines that principle for relating to others in a way that would absolutely transform human life. He's not describing the natural kind of love. He's talking about agape love. He's describing that supernatural love that is given by God. It's God's gift to mankind through Jesus Christ. And you know, if you go through those four verses there, and if every place that he uses the word love, you could substitute the word Christ or Jesus, and it still would be true. Try that sometime. It's still true. Because the kind of love that's being described there is is love that has its source through the Lord. Agape love only comes through God. It is a supernatural kind of love. It is not a love that is natural at all. So life with that kind of consistent love is not possible without the presence of the Holy Spirit. Paul was describing characteristics of love that should be present in all Christians. The the Christians in this Corinthian church, they were fighting, get this, they're fighting over their spiritual gifts. Which one is the best? Who has more of this than the other one has? And they're getting all puffed up and they're all proud and it's all and they're and they're fighting among themselves over spiritual gifts. Hello. Talk about an oxymoron. That's crazy. That is crazy. And what Paul is saying is, you guys all have gifts, but you don't have love. That's the problem. And love is a first fruit. It's the first thing you should have had. You should have had that first. And then the other gifts follow. He says, you got it all messed up. You got it all backwards. And besides that, you're trying to use your spiritual gifts for your own gain, for your own pride. So Paul was showing them a new way to live. And he's saying, you don't do this by yourself. You don't just say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to man up here and I'm going to love. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'm going to love. That's not how it's done. It's done through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. You might start by praying. You might start by repenting. To repent is to stop what you're doing and do it differently. And that's exactly what they needed to do. They needed to stop. They needed to stop and get a little time with the Lord. You know, ask and receive. Ask and you shall receive. Have you asked for love? You should have love right away. Love should be just Love should be there. And if you're having difficulty achieving that or you're having difficulty living that out, ask. Ask the Lord. Say, God, what am I doing that is a problem? What do I need to change about myself? And you don't have to do that by yourself. You don't. This is, this is, not, the, this is not a self-help program. You don't read a book and do five things and then you fix yourself. It's through the, through the presence. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's submitting yourself 
to God's will. And if God impresses on you that you need to stop doing something, then stop. And he will enable you to do that. You know, I know people who have had, I don't know, their habits. They're just habits. But for some reason, it's a big problem for them. And I, and I look at that habit and I'm saying, well, I really don't see that prohibited by the Bible. It's not on a list anywhere. You know, I can't definitively point to a verse and say, oh, there it is. That's a sin. But God impressed on them that they needed to stop that. And it's difficult to stop those things. Some of those things are called addictions. The reason they're called addictions is because they're a problem. They're not easy to stop. But when, when, the peop- when this person prays, asks God, God, help me stop that. You've, God convicted him that it's wrong. Help, help me stop that. Take that away, whatever it is. And God enabled them to do it. You know, but they're sincere. They mean it. You know, if you're praying, if you're, if you're approaching God, if you're praying about something and you're not sincere, don't you think he knows that? God knows if you're sincere or not. You got to mean it. You got you to you really want to change. You got to really mean it. So Paul's showing them a new way to live. He's saying, go forward with love. Move forward with love. And it's going beyond that natural capability that they have. And, and Paul says there in verse 4, Love suffers long. Love doesn't give way to bitterness and wrath when evil is done. You know, sometimes people will come in and they'll say, You don't know what they did to me. And I'll be like, well, actually, I probably do. I've probably been through that, you know. But I understand what you're saying. But it, whatever it is has become a bitterness in there. You can't let it go. You know, there's things we have to just, we got to let go. We got to let go. And if you ask the Lord, 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 take that away. Take away that bitterness from me. God will do that. Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it's not immediate. Sometimes it is immediate. But if you ask sincerely, if you ask sincerely, God will give it to you. You know, the reality is that nobody gets out of this life without something. Nobody. You might be sitting there and you might be thinking, wow, I am the only person in the whole world who ever went through this. You're not. First of all, you're not. Besides that, that person sitting beside you, you know, that, that one in the, in the button-up shirt with the collar and they look all put together and they have hair that's combed. They look like they don't have a problem in the world. I'm telling you, they got problems. They got something because everybody has something. Don't feel like you're being picked on by life. Don't feel like you're being picked on by life. Everybody's picked on by life. That's why we need God. That's why we need Him to to get through it. But if we have that supernatural love, we're not going to get bitter over it. Bitterness is a problem. Bitterness is bitterness is like anger. If you're angry towards somebody, it's like it's like swallowing poison and expecting the other person to die. It doesn't hurt anybody but you. They don't care because they don't care about you. They don't have love. They don't care. But it hurts it hurts it hurts me. And I need to let things go. I need I need that supernatural love to to enable me to deal with those things. So that thing about that thing about patience that Paul is writing there in verse four, love suffers long. Um, it's it's not so much it's not so much a call to patience about circumstances as it is to people. Circumstances are what they are. They just are. You know, our our interaction with other Christians and with, with it's it's all about people, isn't it? 
It's all about people. God's about people. God's about caring for people. God's about reaching people. God's about supporting people, loving one another. That's people. So when he's talking about suffering long, that's with people. That's those people that are difficult to love. You know, and they might be a Christian. They might have love, but there's just something about their personality that's difficult for you. And that's suffering long. That's, 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 that's loving them in spite of, you know, some of us just, we're just, I'm just an abrasive person sometimes. I just admit it. You know, there's one day a, a guy, uh, so I work for the radio station, guy walks in my office and, and we're talking and, and he says, uh, you know, he looks at me, he's sitting in a chair, he looks at me and he says, you can really be intimidating sometimes. And I'm like, what? Me? The Pillsbury Doughboy? I am not intimidating. I probably said it like that too. I'm not intimidating. You know, we all, we all have that side. We're all there. So the, the positive side there is that love is kind. Love is kind. Love is not passive. Love is not something that's passive. Love is something we do. Love is a verb. Love is something we do. You know, love has a way of empathizing with other people when bad things happen to them. You can be talking to somebody. You can be talking to somebody in a store somewhere. You know, you're walking down an aisle. You meet them. You know them. And they start talking to you and, and they're sharing something difficult in their life. And, and you, you have empathy for them. You feel that for them. That's love. That's love. And, and I would just say right there, not only is that love, but that was probably a divine appointment. You're not there by chance. God put you there. God put you there because he knew that that person needed Somebody who cared. Needed somebody who could give them some encouragement. You know, in verse 7, I'm going to try to wrap this up here. In verse 7, when he says that love believes all things, he's not saying that we're, we're gullible. He's not saying that Christians are easily fooled or easily conned. Remember, I don't know, one or two weeks ago when I was talking about uh, about having discernment. We need to be discerning. Christian, we shouldn't be fooled. We shouldn't be fooled by people. We shouldn't be fooled by circumstances. We should have discernment. We should see clearly what's going on. And, and sometimes we need to pray about that. Sometimes we need to pray for that. So, you know, uh, um, this, this love endures all things. It's not passive. That's not a passive enduring. That's something that, that is active. We're working at that. We're doing things. Paul holds up love as the most essential gift, and he makes it very clear that love transcends all of the other gifts. Love complements all of the other gifts. Love transcends all of the other gifts. You know what? If I have none of the other gifts, if I have none of them, but I have love, I'm going to be happy. I'd be happy if I just can love people. I don't, I don't necessarily need all those other gifts. You know what? I believe, that, I believe that God empowers us in the moment with whatever gift we need. You might say, typically I don't have that gift. You say, I've never had, I've never had an experience with that gift ever before. But all of a sudden, when I, when I need it, it's there. Gee, really, big surprise. God gifts us with the gift that we need in the moment. I truly believe that. You know, maybe they're all present. You know, Paul said, maybe they're there. Maybe they're there when we become a Christian and they just are activated. I don't know. I don't, I don't have an answer for that. And it's probably a pointless theological discussion because it's there when we need it, isn't it? But love, we always need love. We we'll always need love. He says, even those things that abide for others, such as faith and hope, 
Love is the greatest. God loves us. God sent his son to die for us. And he wants us to believe in Jesus. God gives us eternal life when we leave this world. And, uh, and he gives us eternal life when we do believe in him and we put our trust in him and we make him Lord and Savior of our, our life. You know, and, and I would just say this is not an elementary understanding of salvation. This is not, this is not simple. This is not the simple understanding of salvation. I think it's the most mature understanding that there can be. We don't move on from that. That's it. That's it. Godly love transcends time. It outlasts earthly things and it endures all things. I'm going to pray in just a second. If you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, you can do it right now. Right now with a simple prayer. Heartfelt. Needs to be heartfelt. Need to be sincere. Don't, don't just be casual. Don't be passive about it. Pray a heartfelt. You don't have to say every word like I say. Um, the words are not, are, this is not a magical prayer. This is not magical. I don't, I don't pray this over people and, and magical things happen. It's what's happening in your heart. It needs to be sincerely in your heart. Let's pray. Almighty God, Lord, I do believe in Jesus. Lord, He is our redemption. We know, Lord, that we're sinful people, and we know that we need a Savior. Father, I put my trust in Him, and I give my life and my heart to You right now, and I repent of my sinful ways. Lord, I commit myself to serving You. I want to know You in a real and a very personal way. I want to follow You and know God's presence in my own life. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and let me know the joy of walking with you throughout my journey on this earth. And Lord, spending forever with you in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray.